Welcome to the CoLab, the only podcast for business owners who are committed to growth through the power of collaboration and teamwork. Get ready to put your heads together to boost your business to the next level with your hosts, the ultimate team players, Megan Marsh and Andre Munar. Welcome back, collaborators, for another episode. Today, we have a guest that I know many of you will be inspired by and in awe of and hopefully help you overcome those voices in your head that tell you, I'm too old, this is too hard, I'm not made out for this, I can't recover from this. Our guest today that we're about to bring on has created a thriving business and community over the past 5 to 10 years, defying all the odds against him. He wasn't raised with parents that had opportunities for him. He didn't have friends that encouraged him. He didn't even have job prospects or a college degree for that matter. He had a will and a drive that led him to figure out how to get shit done, find the right people to surround himself with, and something all of us can definitely learn from. And before we bring him in here, I just I wanted to start just with a little story that kind of goes with the other episodes. You know, we shared before that Andre and I met and started a friendship and a working relationship after meeting at a coaching group in Florida. Uh, but really where everything happened was about a year later, we left that original coaching program and we decided we needed to find something else that was you know, out of our niche that focused on something specific. And so lead generation was something we just really didn't know anything about. And that's how we found Ryan Stuman's sales program and who we're going to be bringing on. And it was a way that you know we were able to start figuring out and accomplishing that goal. But it was also at Ryan's program that I like to call it that Andre and I got business engaged. Dre proposed to me and I said yes. So, you know, Ryan was not like any other coach that we worked with before. His energy, his demeanor, the way of motivating everyone. And at the time, I was going through one of the most difficult times in my career. You know, I had almost lost everything that I had worked for 10 years for after getting back from maternity leave and, you know, having a business partner that had drained our accounts. And when we joined Ryan's program, you know, having someone that leads a program who has gone through difficult stuff, more challenging than I had even gone through, it really helps put things in perspective. So I hope that everyone can really get both perspective, inspiration, and then also some great valuable information on lead generation. So let's not waste any more time. Welcome to the Collab Podcast, Ryan. You there? That's really cool. I didn't know that you guys like started your business at, at that meeting. That's really cool. <laughs> we That's did. Yeah. We did. We actually we didn't know each other that well. And I was kind of against uh, having a business partner after some of the stuff. And I was postpartum. And it was in a restaurant. I think it was in like Three Forks down there. Yeah, three Forks with Missy. Yeah. We still and eat there. <laughs> it's awesome. And so he asked me and I'm like, hmm. And it, it did. It was like you're the stuff you shared really put things in perspective for me. You know, somebody who had it pretty easy growing up and had everything in front of me. And then you go through this hard stuff and I'm like, you know, this is horrible. The world's ending. And then you see other people go through shit too. Well, that's what keeps life exciting. You know, if you were to watch a TV series and it was totally predictable and you knew what the outcome was going to be, like you wouldn't watch that TV series. 
right? If there was like a TV series on yeah. Netflix and it's like the predictable movie, you'd be like, well, I know what's going to happen. I don't want to watch this shit, you know? <laughs> and it's those almost, right? You almost went bankrupt. You almost lost this, almost died. I almost, you know, it was the end. It was like, dude, those almost really like, we should replace that word almost with exciting, you know? Like, cause that's what it really is a synonym for is like, it's the almost, nobody's telling the story later on down the road. They're like, so there was this sure thing. Cause nobody gives a shit about a sure thing. It was like, there was this time where I almost, and then insert whatever that catastrophic experience was and, and shit. That's what, that's the stories people want to hear. That's what keeps life exciting. You know? Yeah. And I think for people listening, it's getting them through the almost right. Because yeah, it, it, you're right. Like that's how I started doing some speaking about it. And but when you go through it, you think it's the worst thing in the world. Like you think everything is horrible, right? Well, let, let me rewire. Yeah, usually that's like the default thinking. But like, let me rewire some people's minds here. Like, because sometimes somebody can say the right combination of words that snaps the lock open, you know, in, inside our minds. And, and for me, I believe now, and I'm 41 now, so this, this hasn't always been the case with me, but I'm old enough to know now. And I don't say that like I'm old and maybe millennials. I'm one of those too, but I'm just saying like... Hey, I'm your age. With with age comes wisdom, you know, through experience if you're doing stuff. And I've done a lot of stuff in my life. And every single time in the past, when I thought that I was being cursed or it was a massive struggle, the almost, we'll call them, every time I was going through an almost season in my life, and, and, you know, there was times where it's like, you know, it's like, God, man, I, I'm doing all these things. Why do you do me like this? You know, and you're mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you know, it's like, you know, am I cursed, right? You feel like a curse, but then we get through it. And then we look back and we realize, I know in my life, every time that I thought I was cursed turned out to be a major blessing in the future. And what I have learned is that divine timing is better than the timing that I got. See, I don't know what time things are supposed to happen. I'm just here on earth existing like everybody else. But our creator, whatever you believe, whoever put us here has a bigger plan for us. And it's the almost that keep things exciting. And it's those curses at the time that seem so detrimental to us. Like for me, adoption, divorce, you know, even incarceration, like those things seem like such curses at the time. But now I can literally pinpoint the stepping stones of success in my life based on those failures that turned out to be massive blessings later on in life, but seemed like a curse, you know, yeah. at the time. And I think most people never stick through something to receive the blessing from what was perceived as the curse. You're right. Yeah. Andre, you said that to me. We were driving during the next one and he's like, there's got to be something big waiting for us, Meg. And literally that year, we had 10 loan officers join our company and we've doubled in size. Like it's crazy, right? But can you tell, Ryan, can you tell since you've kind of shared some of these experiences, but Cody, would you mind sharing with our listeners, people who are new entrepreneurs, business owners who are trying to build and grow a little bit about your story and evolution into building a business, you know, just kind of start there and we can move along the, the path. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Dallas, Texas my whole life, still live here. I love it. And I'm not one of those people that never leaves. Like I travel every week somewhere. I've been all over the place, but I, uh, I like it here. It's in the middle of the country. It's super clean, you know, and, and uh, it's Texas. So, um, but I've lived here all my life. I, I started working when I was 13 
And I worked wow. at a, a car wash for my father. My, my, I was adopted when I was seven. And the, my dad that adopted me, he had like two answers for everything that frustrated him. Um, <laughs> number one was violence. And number two was put him to work. Right. Yeah. And, you know, being a step parent's not easy or adopted parent, whatever you want to call it, because your personality doesn't line up with your kids. You know, there's, it's a, a different dude's and, and a different woman's kid. Right. So I, I get the difficulty now. Um, but saying that my adopted dad wasn't really the brightest guy in the world. So like he answered everything with like violence or work. And I, off, I, I liked work a lot more than violence because he was a rather large fella. And so, and I was a rather small fella at the time, you know, little skinny kid or whatever. So I, I worked a lot and, uh, you know, I, I saw my parents really never have much. And other than credit card debt, you know what I mean? If they had uh-huh. something, they had to charge for it. And they, you know, always telling me, no, we can't do this. We can't buy you shoes. And I had to, you know, by the time I was probably 15 or 16, hell, I was paying bills at the house. Like from the time I was 13 to 18, they kept my checks. I never got my checks and they kept my checks. And I don't know what happened to them. I just oh assumed that, you know, wow. like, like they would spend them on bills and shit. Like when, later on in life, when you do like, you guys know this, you do a loan for somebody that's 24. They just got out of college and they've got $10,000 in their bank account. They're buying a $300,000 home. And they're, that's because people gave them graduation money and their parents, maybe they sold the car that they got for graduation. Now they're buying a house. They put on their current parents' credit cards. They've got good credit. They buy a house. Again, my parents do none of that shit. I left the house when I was 17, 16 or 17 years old. Um, uh, the car that I had paid cash for and took from me. So like I'm literally walking the streets and stuff, but anything was better than being there. And I ended up when I was 18, I got my first apartment and I worked three jobs from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. I worked wiring houses for electrician, you know, electrical wiring uh, in Texas. And that's probably one of the top 10 worst jobs in the world you could have because in Texas, it's like 110 degrees and you're up in the attics pulling uh, wires, you yeah. know, and, uh, and, and just like doing that in a June, July, August, September, I mean, dude, it's like in Texas, it can be a hundred degrees for 40, 50 days at a time, you know? So it's just, it's, it was a really, really warm job. Right. And I was a little skinny young guy, so I could ease, I fit in the attic easier <laughs> than the bad old guys, you know? So, uh, I don't think I fit in an attic very well, the size I am now, but back when, you know, a little kid or whatever, but um, then when I got off work at three, I would take a shower because I'd be covered in sweat and insulation and everything else. And then I would go be the greeter fellow at this little Mexican restaurant. So when you come in, I'm like, the guy's like, hi, welcome to tamales. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then I got off work there at 10 o'clock every night. So I worked four to 10 there. And, uh, and then I would sell a little weed in the evening time, you know, to, to pay for rent and stuff like that. But I mean, I, even at that age, living on my own without a roommate or anything, I was like working, you know, what I would say, three jobs, the side hustle and two main hustles, you know, and, and, um, I ended up getting in trouble for selling drugs and, uh, got charged with selling drugs and, and ended up doing two years in prison when I was like 19. So I was like 21 when I got out or somewhere around that timeline and went back to work at the car wash, right? Cause victims always go back to their abusers. And anyway, and I have um, a quick question on that as you keep telling yeah. the story, because so when you get out of jail, like in your mind, you said you just said it, you went back to that. But like, what did you think your future looked like at that point? Like, what were you hoping that, to do? That's a good question. I, uh, 
my so I left school when I was 17 because I noticed that I was making money at the car wash about the same amount of money my teachers were making. And I was like, you know, like maybe they really don't have anything figured out. I can read, talk and write. That's probably all I need to to go sell some shit. You know what I mean? I I just happened to get busted selling the wrong stuff. But, um, you know, when I went in there, I went in there thinking I was like, you know, and I was never like a, I was never in a gang. I never like robbed people or shot up people. I wasn't like one of these dope boys that they rapped about. I mean, I was, I had a reputation and we had to do what we had to do, but I wasn't like, I didn't have like beef on the streets and people with like prices on my heads and stuff like that. I was never like a, a troublemaker, right? I was just trying to make a dollar. That's all. Yeah. And so, but I, I thought, you know, we had a pretty good click on the street. So I thought kind of tough. You go in prison, you realize, oh, these are where the real tough people are. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I didn't like that. You know, like, you know, we, the world talks a lot about racism today and they're like, oh, you're, you're white. You never experienced racism. Like you ever been like the only white dude in a prison full of like 5,000 black guys? I don't think you really know what racism really <laughs> yeah. feels like, man. Like there's nobody that hasn't been in there. And even if you are a person that's black or Hispanic in prison, your time is way different than a white person's. And, and everybody struggles different. I'm not saying mine's worse or whatever, but I'm saying, dude, I have felt the worst amount of racism and hate you could possibly ever feel, you know, outside of getting drugged behind a truck or literally hung from a tree, man. I mean, it was just a terrible experience that scared the living shit out of me. And I'm like, I'm never going to get in trouble ever again. Okay, you win. I'm going to be a good boy. It's like, man, they turned me in there for like 24 hours. Like, I'm sorry, man. I didn't really mean to Let me out. Yeah, hey, my bad. I thought y'all was just playing. I didn't, I didn't know, you know. But it probably, so, it probably taught you stuff too, because Dre Tyrone talk- said he's going to sleep with me. Does that mean he's my oh, son or yeah. my boyfriend? You know what I'm saying? Like, you can laugh about it now, thank goodness. Dude. Hey, the best comedians tell the greatest stories from the most <laughs> painful experiences. You got a choice when you go through pain in your life. You can either make a joke about it because it's always funny to laugh at someone else's expense and you can deal with it that way, or you can be depressed and take anxiety medicine and shit like that and ruin your life. You got a choice. You can either laugh it off and be like, hey, divine timing, <laughs> curse, blessing, or... You can really stress about it and ruin your whole life. I just choose to kind of laugh everything off because, you know, if not, I mean, what's stressing going to accomplish? At least laughing and feel good about it. Stress doesn't make you feel good, you know? No, I agree. But I remember one day I was walking down the halls of this place and I had finally got like 20 or $30 in my commissary and I didn't have any money in there. You know, my family didn't have any money. They're all mad at me and, you know, I was just a poor white trash kid. And so... I'm walking back down in the hall and there were these two uh, like members of the some gang, the blood or the crypt, some shit like that, you know, and, and two big black guys. And, and uh, they were like, hey, man, we'll take that. And it, they were my comments. This is the only food I got, man. We've been on lockdown for like two months inside this place, right? And I'm like, oh, man, don't do me like that today, man. Like, go hit somebody else. You know, all these other cats that get shit every week, man. Like, let me make it, dude. I've been poor as hell in here. You know, I've been having to eat the real food they feed us in the cafeteria, man. And they didn't care. And it it wasn't like, I, I mean, what I'm going to do, hit them and then get, get, there's no way I can win the fight against these guys. So like, I literally got to turn my food over to these guys, feel like a little bitch, and I'm hungry. So I'm hungry like a little bitch. There's literally nothing I can do. Like, you know, probably a professional fighter would have handed their bags over to these guys. There's like, mm. they weren't going to lose. They've been scrapping this routine for 15 years in prison against the baddest people in the play. Like, you know, I, I, I never want to get in a fight that I don't at least think I got a chance of winning. Right. Cause then it's just foolish. Right. Like yeah. if you, 
I'm not going to get in an yeah. argument with Mike Tyson. It's not, it's not a fight that I stand a chance of <laughs> winning, you know? And so, um, so I remember that was like a big low point in a low place for me. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to get in trouble again, man. I, I'm not, this is out of control. There's nothing I can do. There's nobody protecting me here. There's no safety here. This is, this is the scariest shit I've ever been in in my life. You know, these people are animals. Like, I got to get out of here. And uh, I did. I got out. No drugs. No nothing. Went back to work the car wash because I'm like, this is the only job I ever had. And my parents convinced me I'm like this loser and shit, which I, I was obviously at that time. But like, you know, we're, you're lucky we even give you a job at the car wash that we manage type of situation. But I had a plan. And my plan was this. I'm poor white trash dude with a felony. And my only shot at success in this life is if I can maybe buy this car wash. And the only way that I'm going to be able to buy this car wash is with sweat equity. And the only way I'm going to get sweat equity is by outworking every one of these hardworking Mexicans that work there because it was literally all Mexicans and me. And, and that's big competition because those dudes work hard, man. And they're used to mm -hmm. the heat. Because Mexico is the same way, right? So I got to outwork the hardest working like demographic of people in the nation, in my opinion. But I'm willing to do it. You know, uh, even in prison, when they put us out on the what you would think of as the chain gang, there's really no chains involved these days. We're basically we'll call it the slave brigade. When they sent us out there after the like the first day, uh, I outworked all the other inmates. I didn't know you weren't supposed to do that, but they gave me a promotion. I ended up driving a tractor instead of digging with a shovel. So that was kind of cool. So it was like the same plan. <laughs> to come out to the car wash. So I, after about a year and a half, I knew every position. I knew every little piece and fitting and soap delusion and how the computers work and how to do every job there. Like I had this thing mastered. Now all I got to do is make it the best car wash. And then one day I'm going to be able to, you know, ask for some shit. Right. This lady comes in the car wash one day and she says, uh, you guys will think this is hilarious. She's like, you know, every time I come in here, you're like, sell me a car wash. Then you vacuum my car. Then you like spray it off. And then half the time you wipe it off up front when it comes out. It's like, does anybody else work here but you? Are you like a one man band here at the car wash? <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, you know, the way that it works is the least people that I can put on the clock and the most cars I can wash, the most money I can make. So instead of putting Jose over here on the clock for $7 and 50 cents an hour, I can just multitask instead of being lazy. And then that adds to my bonus. And she's like, oh, you're a hard worker and you got this number thing figured out. I like to give you a job. And I was like, give me a job. No, I, I got a job. I'm <laughs> you, you got a plan. Right. Yeah. And she's like, she's like, uh, yeah, no, I like, I like to give you a job working in mortgages. And uh, oh. I swear to God, this, I swear to God, it's what I said. I said, what's a mortgage? You know, <laughs> I, I really never, I'd never heard that word in my life. She goes, you know, like a house payment, you buy a house, you get a loan from a bank. And I was like, oh, lady. I don't even have a credit card. I pay my rent in cash, you know, and I bought that truck over there for cash, like a 1962 Dodge or something like that. I'm like, like I bought that for cash. Like I don't even have a credit. I don't, I don't, I, and I'm a felon, right? Like, so I just don't, she goes, well, you're a felon. So yeah, that's why I work here. She's like, what'd you do? And I'm like, well, I got in trouble for selling drugs. She goes, ah, you'll be just fine. You'll be you'll <laughs> probably somebody else that works for me. That's got a conviction for drug selling too. You'll be fine. Like, Maybe an hour after that conversation, the owner showed up there for the first time in probably nine months. He was hungover, drunk, mad, and fighting with his wife, being a complete asshole to me. And I just listened to him yell at me for a minute. I said, you know what, babe? I just got a job. I'm going to go do more gauges, right? Like, I thought that's what it was, like, more gauges. 
And, and he's like, what? He's like, you're such a fucking idiot. Yeah, you don't even you don't even know what the hell you're going to do. I was like, well, you know what? I know this. If she fires me, you took me back out of prison. You'll take me back from the bank. So shit, I'm going to go see how this works out. <laughs> yeah, and you'd probably... And I would honestly... People who work hard, it's a hard industry. Selling's hard. You, I would think the same thing if I knew you back then. was Like, hey, he'd be able... You'd be able to put things in perspective. Like you're helping people. It's stressful. So you went and did that. Tell us about that. So the first day I showed up at work, I get on the elevator with the FBI and the FBI, I overhear the guys talking that they're going to raid a mortgage company. I'm like, son of a bitch. I knew this was too good to be true. Oh shit. And I'm like, motherfucker. Right. So like, I look at the FBI guys and they like, look at me and they're waiting on me to push what floor I'm going to. Right. And I'm like, oh shit, man. I'm like, I push whatever, let's say it was floor five. And then they kind of looked at each other and they were cool and they pushed like, let's say floor seven, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh shit, thank God. And I'm like, wait, what if this is a big mortgage company? It's on like three or four floors. You know, <laughs> like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh shit. So I get up there and I step up. There's no FBI or no people with boxes and stuff. And I, So they were there to raid AmeriQuest. Remember those guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah what year was this? What year was yeah, this, Brian? 2005, 2004, okay. somewhere like that. 2004, I think. And so anyway, yeah, they were investigating AmeriQuest. So I'm like, right there. That was like God telling me, hey, man, don't fuck around with this job. The FBI gets involved. You know what I mean? That was like, right. in case I thought about robbing the bank, I wasn't thinking about it no more. You know? <laughs> and so uh, I go there. For the first week, she's showing me some stuff, man. She might as well have been teaching me French, you know? Mm-hmm. And But I'm a hard worker. So I go home at night. I listen to the CDs that she gave me. I go home at night, read the underwriting guidelines, even though I don't know what they say, but I'm, I got the patience. This is before Google and shit. I got the patience mm-hmm. to go look up the things in dictionary.com and all that stuff to figure out what these words and terms and stuff meant. And so at the end of the first week, I go to my friend's parents' house because remember, I'm like 23 at this time or something like that. So I go to my friend's parents' house to watch the Michigan-Ohio State game. And they are a couple beers in, you know, the fourth quarter. And they're like, you know, well, how's the car wash life, right? I was like, you know, I quit. I'm actually a, a mortgage professional now, right? And, <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, oh, no shit. You know, and I was like, yeah. You ever heard of a refinance? You guys lived here for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And they're like... No, we can't do that. We had a bankruptcy at this time. And I was like, you know what, man? I was just reading some statutes this week and some underwriting guidelines. And they said you could have a bankruptcy within the last six months and still get a loan. I don't know. If you're interested in it and you haven't refinanced, maybe it's time to take a look. I'm not the guy to look at it, but I got this smart lady that I'm working for that I can have her look at it, right? And they're like, yeah, that'll probably work. It's around Christmas time, right? And so we ended up closing their loan like two weeks later, three weeks later. They did a cash out refine. I made 8,000 bucks. I don't know what happened. I mean, I know what happened now, but at this point, I don't know what happened. I just I got eight grand. And you're two like, days, what on earth is this? I ain't had $8,000 in my life. I never even had $8,000 worth of trucks. Like, this is like, I thought I was Bill Gates at this time of my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh shit, that's what it feels like to own windows and shit. But anyway, um, you know, that maybe a week later, because you know how it is. Like it's like network marketing, real estate, and mortgages. Like you, you got a warm market, but once that's gone, it's gone. You got to figure out how to generate leads, right? 
But the next week, I get a phone call from the dude that mows the yards at the car wash. And he's like, hey, man, I was up at the car wash. You're not there anymore. They told me you're a banker. I'm buying this $700,000 house in McKinney. You think you can no get way. me a loan? I'm like, hell yes. And then I got like $20,000 from that deal, <laughs> right? Because this was like the countrywide subprime days and shit, yep. right? So, wow. um, so, so now I'm sitting on about $28,000 or so within a month and a half, which used to take me a, a, ye- a half a year to make. And I'm like, oh, dude, all right. So, you know, I got no bills. I still got the paid off ass truck and things like that. And about two months went by and I didn't close any more deals. You know, I'd have knocked mm. on doors. I'd have went to every door that had a real estate sign in it. This is how crazy I was. Be like, hey, I know you're selling your house. You guys got a mortgage yet? Like, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was ruthless, man. But one Saturday, I'm like down to like 1500 bucks left. And I got a mortgage payment of 1200 bucks coming up in a couple of days. And I'm like, Oh man, dude, because this commission only, and there ain't no company leads at this place, right? You know, the kind of place that would take right. selling from a car. Wash. And so, anyway, <laughs> um, and, and so I, I, I like watch TV, and I ain't paid my cable bill last month because I was never home to watch it. And there's only one channel that comes on, and the one channel has got a rich dad, poor dad seminar ads. Like, it's free seminar, mm. come down this weekend. And I'm like, man, if all those people are buying real estate, they probably need some loans, man. I'm going to go down to this seminar and see if I can meet Love the way you think. And so I go to the, and I find out that they got like three. So I just clear my day off to go to these three things. And I didn't have the two grand or five grand to buy the program okay, at the time. And so what I did was I noticed everybody that bought the program was pretty damn serious. So I passed my business card out to them and kind of, you know, I closed a bunch of loans in the last month. I've done a million dollars alone, right? Because I truly had, <laughs> right? So like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, I'm telling them all this stuff. And man, this dude, uh, the following Monday, let's say it was a Saturday that I went to this deal. The following Monday, he hits me up. He said, I need to refinance these 54 properties I own. Oh my gosh, wow. that's amazing. So I like, I would refinance 10 at a time. And then as soon as we refinanced all of them, he would take them and go trade them out to his bank and get a blanket loan for them. And then I would freaking refinance 10 more to the LLC. End up doing like 30 or 40 of them for this guy. Wow. And, you know, that pretty much kept me busy for like the next six months. But then I got like, you know, $700,000 coming in in, in loans and shit. Because these it wasn't just 54 properties. It was 54 duplexes that were like 600 grand a piece, right? That he was refinancing. So... I mean, it was like, it was a score of scores, like $10 million worth of loans within a, you know, a couple of months just handed to me from that one thing. And then, you know, most people, they would have went, well, that was a blessing. I'm just going to ride this wave. Oh, hell no. My ass was back at the next real estate dude. I became a real estate seminar junkie, except okay. for the difference was now all of a sudden I got the money to buy this shit. Right. Mm. So now I'm going and I'm buying it and everything. And then I'm learning their stuff. And then I'm able to talk to the investors and go to the networking meetings you next thing you know, dude, I'm making a bunch of money. I own 30 houses. I buy this nice house in, in Allen, Texas and throwing parties and people are coming by paying me rent and dropping off mortgage packets. And I'm working from home because I figured out how to hack in the server at the bank from, from the house, you know, always be kind of a computer guy. And, uh, man, my, my, my girlfriend at the time and I got in a fight and she got pulled over when she burned out and left the house. And when she got pulled over, she was mad at me and she told the cops that I sold drugs and had a gun, which wasn't true. Oh. About a week later, 
the cops came to the house and I just recently found out how this happened, which is a nice closure for me because forever I didn't know how the hell the cops raided my house. But the girlfriend at the time, mad at me, drove off, got pulled over for speeding in my car, tells the cops I'm a drug dealer with guns, so they come arrest me. But it takes them a while to put their shit together. So a week later, they kick in my door. There's no drugs in the house, but I did have a gun, and they arrested me for it. In the state of Texas, you can own a gun if you are a convicted felon. That is not against the law, just like you can have a weed in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but So I beat the case. And uh, the feds picked it up. The ATF supersedes the state. They double jeopardied my ass, and I end up doing 15 months in prison. This chick, what? I never knew. I never knew she was the snitch. So after she's got me thrown in jail, I'm out on bond. Beat the case. The FBI's picked it up. The ATF is who convicted me. She's still with me this whole time, and I never knew she was the one that told. Never. Wow. She ended up marrying me, and then having me thrown in jail two days before I had to turn myself in. It was just this whole setup, man. And she robbed me blind and I lost everything that I had like within the seconds of stepping into prison. So I walked into federal prison, a guy that didn't break the law, that didn't do shit wrong, that was wrongly convicted with double jeopardy. Like, and now my wife, the love of my life is like robbing me blind. I came out 15 months later with $25 to my name. And I still knew that I'd been in this situation before and I'd come out of prison and made millions. So why? And I didn't know shit then, at least this time I knew what to do. Uh. Problem was it was 2008 and mortgage people were jumping out of windows. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, they just, right. Yes. Like, you know, it was a, and I've been watching TV in prison and they're like, you know, mortgage numbers down, blah, blah. I was like, well, that's not going to fucking be a good job. to go out to. <laughs> That was fun while it lasted, you know? Yeah. They changed it to where if you had yeah. any, Thing, you know, any type of dips on your history. Down payment assistance went away, credit yeah. guidelines went up, all that shit, right? And subprime went away. And so I go apply for this job at credit repair, uh, credit restoration, debt solution company. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if a lot of people are behind on their mortgages, they're going to need that, right? And I'm going to go sell that, okay? And uh, <clears throat> I go to this interview. They like me. It's like a boiler room style interview. They like me. I like this place, like a dream job. Friday, they give me the job, but I check no in the box if you've been convicted of a felony. Because I'm like, maybe they don't run it. I don't know. And so they ran it over the weekend. So all weekend, I'm telling my friends, Ben, I got this job. I'll be rich. I'm back in sales, blah, blah, blah. And then Monday, they call me like, don't come here. you know. And uh, so I'm like, shit, what do I do? One of my friends is like, bro, just come back to the mortgage business. The news is full of shit. That was like my first lesson as an adult when the news was full of shit. So he's like, dude, the mortgage mm-hmm. business is still popping off, bro. So I went to this interview with like the biggest bank in Texas and I had W-2s to convince them, hey man, yes, I know I got two felonies, but look, I also put up two commas when I do business, right? So let's let's go. And uh, after two hours, the guy took a chance on me and I'm like, dude, it's not like your customers are running my background. It's not like I'm on the phone going, yeah, man, just got out of jail. What was your social security number again? Like, you're <laughs> fucking smart. You know, nobody will ever know. It's our secret. Let's go. And so finally I closed the guy, I get the job. And it's a big company. And every day in this big company of probably 200 loan officers, somebody quits. They go and become a roofer, they go and become an insurance agent, or they go into the actuary side of things, or they just become a loser. I don't know what they do, but they were quitting. And so I noticed my friends from other mortgage companies were starting to quit and do other things too. So much like the seminar idea, in 2008, I just started hitting up all my buddies that quit and be like, what you going to do with your book of business? Mm. Who's taking it? 
And so, dude, I just start scooping up everybody's real estate connections, everybody's because all the realtors were getting ignored because they were just like, you know, uh, all the loan officers were leaving and blah, blah, blah. So I start making all these connections with realtors. I end up making like $300,000 fresh out of prison in 2009, one of the worst years to do this shit. I think I did 160 loans or something like that. Uh, and, and I was doing like, you know, $150,000, $200,000 FHA loans, but I was cranking them through. I got a, a plaque one month where I did 72 loans by myself, like no team, no nothing. It was just like, just cranking them through. And I remember just so everyone knows, people. too. Sorry, Ryan, Go I was going to say, so people know the average loan officer in the business still to this day closes two to three loans a month. Yeah, yeah. So that's like what, 35, 40 loans. So I just want them to understand how what you were doing is so different than what most people do. I was doing it a month that most people don't do in a year, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, but I was hungry. Shit. I knew what it was like to have money and I didn't have it anymore. You know, and I lived in like a hundred thousand dollar house, even though I was making all this money, I drove like a, a, a two ninety nine a month car that I bought. And like, you know, I'm just like trying to make sure that I need to stack my money back up. I got comfortable with a certain amount of money in my bank account. The lady took it from me, you know, and then in 2010, uh, they passed Dodd-Frank and I couldn't get a federal license because I was still on federal parole. But I had been making a lot of sales in the mortgage world from Facebook. It was, it was weird because through 2008, I got on Facebook and, you know, all my friends, and that's really back then, that was all you connected with was like people you knew. Remember that? It's like, don't mm -hmm. connect strangers on the internet. And, and so you connected with people. But, but my friends from high school and, and people from the old neighborhood, every now and then, I wanted them to know that, hey, I wasn't this loser that was still in prison. I'm winning. I got a good job. You know, I bought a car. I got a house. I got a girlfriend. I got, you know, producer of the month. You know, I'm breaking records in this company. I got promoted. Like, so I just start putting shit like that on Facebook as it happens. It's not like it was happening every day. And then people would be like, hey, man, uh, you do mortgages, right? Me and my wife, we're looking to get a refinance or whatever. And I started getting business from Facebook. So when I lost my license in 2010, I was like, I need to do something that doesn't require a license, that doesn't have a boss, and that the government doesn't regulate. So I don't have to fucking deal with it. And I was like, you know what? I'll just teach people how to use Facebook like I did. I'll teach loan officers how they can get a couple deals a month from Facebook that will make them two or 3000 maybe $10,000 a month, depending on what market they're in, all without doing anything weird or hokey or fucking pissing their people off. And I'll just teach them how to do it. It's like, this is a brilliant idea. Problem was, most people had no idea what Facebook was, <laughs> right? And nobody believed in it because this is what they would say. This, You know, you always got to know your number one objection when you're in sales, right? Mm -hmm. You got to know. And the number one objection was, Ah, it's just a fad. Oh. Uh, yeah. It's just yeah. a fad. Yeah. I don't even know why you're paying attention to it. It's just a fad. Look what happened to MySpace. Yeah, MySpace sucked. They played Nickelback on every page, and you had to have, like, only eight <laughs> friends. Like, dude, no, like, you know, like, you have to learn HTML coding. It sucks. Like, this is the new new. And I've been doing it for two years and making money from it. And so I charged $500 to set somebody's profile up. And get this, a hundred bucks a month to write five posts a day on their Facebook page for. Wow. That's wow. Crazy. At one point, I had 70-something clients that I was writing five posts a day for every day. Now, after a couple of months, I had like content curated that I could recycle because it was all loan officers and real yeah. estate agents. 
So I had like, you know, hundreds of posts that I had made that I could plug in. Like if you signed up today, Andre, I got a campaign for you and shit, you know, but we did it all through Hootsuite, but it was, it was just me. But again, I'm managing 70 clients. I'm making the sales, making the posts, dude. I don't, I look back today and I'm like, first of all, how is that even possible? And second of all, how do I do that without being on like drug or something? You know what I mean? Like no Ritalin, no Adderall, like, like, you know, mostly weed, which should have <laughs> slowed me down. You know what I mean? It should have had the opposite effect, but. Well, yeah. and so many people struggle like with, like I hear people all the time. They're, they're, you know, what, what do I start a business in or how, how? and I mean, we, we ask this a lot of times, like, like what are those characteristics that you think it takes for someone to be successful in creating a business? Because you literally created one out of nothing. nothing. Nobody else was doing it. There wasn't a Gary V back then and shit. Like there wasn't a Grant Cardone back then. Like matter of fact, I talked to not Gary V, but Cardone and those guys, and they told me the same thing. It's a fad, bro. Why are you even on there? Now they're all in on it, you know? So anyway, uh, I get to 70 clients and I don't know how to run a business or hire people or train people or any of that shit. So that was unsustainable. So I did what every good entrepreneur does and go, well, that didn't work the way I thought it was. And so I said, you know what? Doing it's too much. I'm just going to teach it to these people. But now I have a year and a half's practice with 70 people writing, commenting, liking. Like I I know what it takes to get engagement on Facebook the hard way because I've done it. If I write a post that didn't get any engagement, I'm not going to, on Andre's uh, page, I'm not going to like put that in the curation for Megan's page later because why would I want to disappoint both of you, right? So I know what's a good hit and what isn't. So I started teaching it. Still nobody wanted to listen. So then I start teaching it for free. And now mm. I start teaching it for like 99 bucks. And finally, people started to listen because a couple of those people that had gotten results started talking about, right? And my very first client, was a guy named JP Piccinini and his company. And he had just started his company and he took a chance on me back in the day. And he sold six and a half billion dollars worth of real estate last year. Wow. I'm not taking credit for JP, obviously, but I'm saying that was the kind of person that took a chance on me that's embraced social media and built a fucking hell of an empire because of it, you know? Uh, and then I started working with, okay, so nobody was really wanting to learn from me. So I partnered up with Frederick Eklund for Million Dollar Listing and then had him teach my material to people and they ate it up. So now all of a sudden I got all these real estate agents that love me because I'm working with uh, Louise and, and Frederick and Josh Flagg and Josh Altman and all the guys, Katrina Campins, all these people from the million dollar listing franchise. And so I got all these agents and I'm like, man, I'm going to teach loan officers this shit. And then when they sign up with me, I'm just going to connect them with these agents that I know get it too. So I became like this connector for loan officers. And I did that all the way up until 2017. It was pretty successful, a couple million dollars a year at it. And I just realized that I was only helping bankers and real estate agents make money. And that was fun. And that was nice. But oftentimes, as you guys saw, somebody would start making life change of money and cheat on their wife or get a drug addiction or fight with another member. I mean, it became, you know, a, a really a shit show and it wasn't what I wanted for people. It's like, okay, well, money's a part of the thing, but if I don't fix some other screws that are loose in there, then the money's only going to magnify a, an already bad situation, you know? And so I took 2018, a shift 2019. I took the whole year off and recreated till the last quarter of the year. And, uh, and really revamped everything from just marketing and sales to marketing, 
sales mindset and more, right? How to be mm-hmm. in good shape, how to, how to have it all, how to, how to be rich and have a happy family life and have good group of friends around you, how to get rid of the toxic people in your life, how to have a good workout routine, how to be healthy, how to have a, a healthy mindset, how to want to partner with people instead of push them away. And right. And, and, and what I did was I just started something called apex and uh, it was our coaching program for like business owners, you know, and that was four years ago. Now we've got several thousand people in the program and prices vary from five grand a year to a hundred grand a year. And we've got several thousand people in the program and I built a network of, of real people now, people that get it mentally, people that get it physically, people that get it financially, and people get it with the family that's around them. And the beautiful thing is now, because of the power of our network, if someone writes a book, they're instantly a bestseller. If someone needs to get their post seen on Facebook, we got all the people to support, share, and knock mm. things out. Like such a hell of a network that's just there like a family supporting each other through in and throughout. I have nine coaches that work for us. Uh, we have 150 executive clients. We have tons of businesses that we're on retainer with. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. The still that the today that it took 11 years, but it's still insane that like this, this dream is the way it is. I just bought my third Lamborghini yesterday. It's like, it's, you know, you love your cars, don't you? I do. I have a bunch of them and I, own, I literally own more houses than I could count. And I don't say that like, look at me, I'm cool. You know what I mean? Maybe it's for lack of growing up with a good haircut, but, but what I do mean, though, is like, that's what's possible. I Man, I was adopted, right. incarcerated, abused, dropped out of school, divorced, all these things I didn't even share with you guys. But I'm still here because I always had the belief that something was bigger than me. And that brings me back to the beginning of this is I never let those low points in my life define me. I let them be bouncing points for me to get back to the apex points of my life. You know, I never said, oh, I've been to prison. You know, this is the end of my world. For me, it was like, man, I don't want to go back there. Right. Right. So what do I got to do not to go back there? But at the time, that seemed like a curse, but it got me away from the woman that I was telling you about. So I needed that. It gave me time to read hundreds of books, man, and gain thousands of fucking hours of wisdom that I never would have got in the free world. That's made me the educated man that I am today. Uh, my first seminar that I ever did was teaching gangbangers in prison how to clean up their drug money and buy real estate with it so they didn't have to sell drugs when they got out of prison, yeah, right? That like, is amazing. You're just resourceful. Like, you're resourceful. And it, it, that, which is one of the our most important things for when we look for people. It's, it's amazing how hard it is to find resourceful people. That's the number one skill everybody needs, right? When we hire an assistant, if we hire somebody in operations, they got to be resourceful. We got to be able to give you... like. I have a lot of Navy SEAL clients and friends, right? Those guys are given way limited resource and given way high expectations and told to make it happen. And that's why they're elite operators. Most people lack the skill of resourcefulness. But, you know, there was really one skill outside of resourcefulness that that kept me floating the whole time. And that was sales. Even though I didn't know nothing about business, I knew how to go out and make sales and make money. And I'll figure the business shit out once I get the money, right? Uh, even though I, I came out of prison broke, there was a sales job and mortgages that I eventually took, right? So sales has always been that thing for me. And if you listen, I always thought of sales as where did the leads come from, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of going like every other loan officer was chasing all the real estate agents, and you guys know how it is. If you start chasing real estate agents, it's like chasing a really pretty girl. She all of a sudden knows she's pretty and she demands a Louis Vuitton instead of a first date. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? 
Yeah. Right? She'd be sending you her Amazon wish list DMs and shit like that. Be like, ah, damn it. So, like, I do that with my husband, but gosh, the girls yeah. do that to their boyfriend. Hell yeah. Half the girls that, that are like the influencers on, on Instagram got an Amazon wish list in their bio link, man. It's like, you know, buy me oh some my shit. gosh. I just figured yeah. I had to go earn it myself. But you're different. That's why you are where you are. But sales is that thing that's always been there for me. But lead gen was the the key. Like, you know, I believe that there's there's four levels of business we play on. And there's six skills that you have to master to get to the fourth level. Uh, okay. Level one is you you work for somebody. You're in sales, right? And at that level, you need to master sales and lead gen. Okay? Most people are good at sales. They really are. They're naturally gifted at sales. The struggle for them in sales isn't talking to people. It's they're talking to the wrong people because they don't know how to get leads. Mm. And when you are good at sales and you can get your own leads... You can write your own check. You can start anything. If you can get a lead and close it, you are the most powerful thing in the marketplace, whether you realize it or not. Everything else can be figured out. Hey, Ryan, and I read something recently before you go to level two here that 50% of college graduates, regardless of their major, their first job out of college is a sales role. Because that's the only place. Because, you know, this is how sales works. You know what? Let's try it. It's commission only. If he fucks up, he fucks up. It's that simple. You know, it's like, it's not like when somebody starts a sales job, you're like, we got to give them an $80,000 a year salary. Nah, they work for 15, 20 grand a year plus commission if they have to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They don't ask. I didn't ask for benefits, insurance. I don't even know. I just say, hey, man, you give me a job where I can make some money. I'm in, you know, and, and most people in college are in that situation too. Plus there's a potential, right? If I go take a job for 40 grand a year, what's the potential of that job? Mm -hmm. 40 grand, right? If I go take a job with no ceiling, what's the potential of the job? Whatever I make, right? So I, I don't blame them. But the second thing is you start your own business, you become an entrepreneur, right? You got an LLC, a definition of entrepreneur. Uh, someone starts their own business for me, someone that has an LLC and they are actively seeking deals or trying to make a deal, whether they've got their first one, their second one, or they're, they're actively out there looking for that first customer, uh, whether it's a side hustle or a main hustle. At that level, you already got sales and closing or sales and marketing. Okay. So you, you, you don't stop those skills. They're just in the process at this point, right? The compound effect for those two and what you got to learn to be able to go to level three is hiring and training. Hard. Because nobody wants to stay self-employed forever, right? Those people can't ever quit. Why? Because there's nobody to delegate the work to to replace themselves. So you have to match. So many people never make it to level three and they get stuck at self-employed and go back to level one because they, they were good at sales and marketing, but they weren't good at hiring and training people. And if you're not good at hiring and training people, A, that's a skill that you need to learn, but B, hire somebody that is good at that and have them do it for you. Absolutely. Love that. Yep. We run into that a lot. The third level is an executive, a CEO, right? You, you are a CEO of the company. You're the chief executive officer. And that means that you have at least five employees, two years in business, and have a quarter million dollar net profit in your company every year. That's my definition. That's not Noel Webster's. That's just my definition. Yeah, I like that. And the thing is there, you've got sales and marketing, hiring and training. At this level, in order to get to the final level, the last two skills that you need are leadership because you're no longer micromanaging the guys at the bottom you're influencing the leaders that sit around your board of directors. You're, you know, mm. as a CEO, you've got every table, you should have every seat at the table filled, CFO, COO, vice president, chairman, you should have that. That's what a true CEO does. And so your job 
is to be the visionary and lead those people, have the leadership skills to lead those people because shit runs downhill. And if you've got good leadership culture uphill, then the good leadership culture will flow downhill. The second and final skill that you need to have, or the sixth and final skill of all this, the second at this level, is branding. Okay, That's way different than marketing. So many people think the two are the same. But branding, and you have to build something in order to get to level four, you have to brand something that operates without you being the face of it. See, most of us, we start a business with us being the face of it. Like I was the face of yep. our business forever, and I still am to a degree, but now I have a thousand people that are the face of this. I got in the elevator at one of my own events the other day, and the guy's like, hey, man, I'm John. What do you do for a living? Who are you? I was like, this is fucking awesome. Oh, shit. I'm doing my job. You know, yeah. and this guy paid money to come to my event, doesn't even know who I am. I am doing my job. If you look at our, our websites and stuff, I've taken my face off of them. I've taken our mm-hmm. stuff so that it's just the program because that's about branding and living a legacy so that when I leave and turn it over to Drewby and Thomas and they're running the show over here and putting on the events like they've been doing for the last year or so anyway, nobody's going to be like, oh, we're not buying this because when Steve Jobs passed away, we didn't stop using the iPhone because he's not around anymore, right? We didn't know. We we were like Tim Cook. Who's that? Who cares? And we never heard about that guy ever again after that one press release until Donald Trump called him Tim Apple. But other than that, you know, we never heard about him again. But yet Apple's still prospering. They're still a one point one trillion dollar company. You know. No, and, but you're, uh, you're so you're so right. Like the stages. This is like, exactly li- where we're at right now. Yeah, like, it's just so yeah. interesting. It, and it's just interesting also because, Ryan, when we were coaching with you, I mean, you're talking about you've totally changed your business. I was teaching level one shit because that's yeah. all I knew, bro. You were, that's all yep, I knew. Yep. You were totally... It's, it's really amazing to watch you grow and how much now you're training and now you're being that CEO. You know, it's kind of where we're at right now um, as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your lead generation formula and why you believe it's so successful? Yeah, let me get to the final stage, though. Oh, yep. yeah. Oh, so, sorry. Yes, please. Because so I know... We got talking about the audience. It's like, wait, damn it. <laughs> Don't let me hang it. No, I it's love it. I love it. I can write it down. This is really good stuff. So branding should build a legacy and a business that lasts back. So many people think the fourth level is retirement. Oh, that's when I sell and retire on an island. And you can sell. However you exit the business is fine. But you know, for me, I think what's attractive to me is ownership. And that's the fourth level. You just own the business. Uh, typically, that would be a chairman of the board, right? The chairman doesn't really work. He just sits on the board and owns the company. The CEO is the guy that works, right? So that owner chairman position where I'm not doing the day-to-day, I might have quarterly meetings or the annual minutes meetings with them, but the company is cash flowing, paying me dividends and money every month while somebody else runs it with them being the face of it. Uh, We see a lot of mortgage brokers do that, right? They run a business really hard for a few years. All of a sudden, somebody else is the CEO and you never hardly hear from the broker again, but they show up at the company meetings when they need to. You know, that's the fourth level. Most people think the fourth level is quitting, but really the fourth in it. And let's say you sold the company and the fourth level is not owner for you. It's investor. So you become one of the two because after you sell the company, you're not just going to sit cash in your bank. My friend, Ed Milet, he sold his shares of a publicly traded company for $400 million. His, he pays somebody full time on his staff just to find bank accounts to put his money in. Right. Like you, you, wow. it, you never stop working. You sell your company for $100 million. You're never going to stop working. You know what I mean? Like you're going to, like the money doesn't just, oh, you sold your billion of money anymore. You got to, now you got to find places not to get taxed on it because they will tax you until it disappears. Now you got to find all this. So it's always a job. You're either investor or owner. For me, investor is good. I plan on selling some of the companies that I own, 
but I want to retain ownership on some of them and pass them down through a trust generation to generation. Most people can't make it past the second generation when they're handing down wealth and businesses. Dude, I've been training my kids since they were born and they're going to train their kids since they were born. I met somebody the other day that's got a sixth generation family office and that's what I'm shooting to be, you know? That's amazing. That is amazing. I mean, you're changing your whole family tree. Exactly. Because I think it only had one branch before, you know? (laughs) (laughs) No, and it's just like Andre said, like, it's just amazing seeing what you've done, you know, as we've had, because, and I loved your level one, level two, level three. I mean, literally going through the exact same thing where, you know, we're at that level four, we're actually meeting on Monday to rebrand because it's the same thing. We want our business to run without us so that it doesn't need us. Well, you know, everybody says, oh, I want to level up or go to the next level. And it's just the same, man. They don't even know what the next level is. There's no definition of it. They don't know what they need to do. So I just laid out what it takes for wherever you're at to level up. It's that simple. And where can people, um, so this is Apex the main program or for people listening who are business owners, no matter what stage they're at, level one, two, three, four. Um, I know you used to have a lot of, you know, your different products. Do you still have those? Where where would yes. you have people go look up the things that you offer for business owners? So, yeah, all we have is Apex these days. And uh, it's jointheapex.com. It's an application process um, because, you know, we, we, we protect that culture at all costs. You guys have seen some things fall apart mm-hmm. on me before, and I do not want that to ever happen again. Funny what ended up happening with that guy. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast for a whole. I'm sure you guys saw that all over the national news, but, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that doesn't happen again. <laughs> and so yeah, we're very like particular. <laughs> and me, dude, I, I want to be that, that woman at the car wash for everybody. Like, I see greatness yes. in someone when they don't see it in themselves. So I'm good at hiring. I hired somebody who don't give a shit for all that and can see right through it and, and isn't like the, the inspirational guy and he's like the yay or nay person. You know, this person's a fit or this person isn't. And so, you know, that, that just makes a, a big difference because I won't give everyone a chance, man. You know, and so that's one of the things, the skills. I needed to hire somebody that could say no for me because I hate saying no because I'm a salesman. Salesmen hate the word no. No is like kryptonite to Superman to me, you know? So, yeah, I was going to say, I love no, because no means, it, it, for me at least, no means, all right, this is a challenge. I'm going to get you to say yes. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you the right questions. I'm going to figure out what's going to make it happen, right? L- later in life, I was talking to Cole Hatter this past weekend. You know, I was just casually hanging out with 2 Chains and Rick Ross, no big deal. And, and my friend Cole was there with us. And, and Cole said, he's like, you are pretty good at sales, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, but you know, I never really see you ask anybody for anything. And I was like, four years ago, I decided that it was easy to close sales in the traditional faction. Like, so what I decided to do was to start speaking language and talking to people that made them ask me to buy their shit, right? And he's like, I've seen you do it like a hundred times, man. And he's like, I never realized that's what you were doing. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I don't ever sell anything to anybody, but I'm very good at getting people to say like, you do, I never said, hey, you should join our Apex or whatever. And you're like, hey, so how do people get involved in that? I've gotten really good at, at getting that line out of people, which has made our business, like, honestly, 100% referral. We haven't ran an ad since 2019. And uh, like any paid traffic whatsoever since 2019 and been able to put thousands of people in our program all by referrals. 
by wow. de- de- delivering the good stuff. And all and people will hit us up every day and ask us, "Hey, can we send this person to join the program?" But but like that's the skill of sales that I'm working on the next level. It's always harder than the traditional sales sense. But I'm like, hey, if we can pull this off, this is next level stuff. And it's really starting to work. That's amazing. So you're not even leaning as much into the holy generation where we met you. It's more in this new mentorship, new program for business owners and helping them get to the next level, it sounds like. Yep. Yep. For in in, you know, we have some amazing people in the program. We got, you know, several people that own multi-billion per year dollar businesses in our executives deal. And we got tons of guys that have nine figure construction and plumbing and real estate. Just <clears throat> it's a, it's a, I'm, it's crazy. Cause I'm the leader and I might be one of the poorest people in there, you know, which is really good. Cause <laughs> it's not a money measuring contest at that point. It's like, Hey, this guy's got the plan. Let's get it from him. You know? Um, but, you awesome. know, I am into the lead gen side and I know Andre asked about that. I do own a software called phone sites. And, um, you know, I built it for, for folks like y'all, you know, you go to check out <clears throat> click funnels or some of that other stuff. It's a great product, but the average plumber, electrician, loan officer, realtor, insurance person, they're not going to like go and learn click funnels. It's some pretty heavy duty stuff. Same with like keep or infusion soft. I mean, it's, it's out of my league, you know, and I'm like an internet guy. Um, but I created phone sites so that the the real estate agent could pull up to a house and take a picture with their phone and turn it into a website and use it in their listing presentation and then share it on social media and get leads from it to go show people so that they're getting instant results and pushing the envelope and standing out in front of their uh, people that need to sell, especially right now since there ain't no damn foreclosures or ain't no houses <laughs> for sale. And um, we were just in a city of 30,000 people and there was like 200 homes for sale only. Like it's crazy here, man. And they're probably tomorrow, there'll be like zero homes for sale again. That was yeah. probably today's harvest, you know? And, um, and so, you know, with that software, we just made something that was super easy for people to be able to, without any coding skills or ever building any of that stuff before, be able to generate leads. Because it's my goal to not only teach you the skills that you need to be able to level up, but to give you the proper tools to make leveling up as easy as possible too. So we've created softwares that generate leads called phone sites. I have a software that does document signing called Sign Seal, and I'm, fo- I'm focusing and working towards and probably will have accomplished next year be the only online notary service pe- period where you never have to see a notary again. They never have to come to your place and it's all online and it holds up in court and it's considered the same as a regular signature. I'm in the process of putting all this together, which will change the wow. game there because I'm making shit easier for the people that I work with, you know? And yeah. so, you know, that's really been my, my purpose is not at this point, it's not like, how, how much money can we make or this, that, and the other? That's like an all byproduct of like, how many people can we help? How can we make it easy for them? Because here's what I feel. And, and I'm not going to be one of those guys. So don't, don't worry when I say this, but like, we just learned with the last four years of being an American, uh, what can happen, right? With the, the change of an election, a blink of an eye, the announcement of a, a, a cop killing someone, the, 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 the reactions of politicians, the reactions of doctors, like we just saw what can happen in the blink of an eye. And it's actually very scary. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they tax us so much, the reason why we don't get the information we need, the reason why people listen to podcasts like this and they don't learn this shit in school, which should be taught in elementary school, even though it's not, right? The reason why is because the more people that I personally, I can make millionaires, 
the more power goes to the people and away from the Fed, away from the government. So it's my job to not only empower as many people as possible to become the most elite version of themselves, but to make as many people as possible money because money is what makes people's mouths move. If we got money, we're all of a sudden not scared of the government because we can fight the attorney bill. If we got money, we can all of a sudden donate to the right candidate that ain't going to sell us out to the Chinese virus or whatever the hell the next thing that they try to put on us. And I'm not downplaying any of that stuff. I'm just saying that we need a power shift as, as you know, to quote Tom De La Rocha from Rage Against the Machine, we got to take the power back, man, because it's got out of control. And, and, and that's a big mission. And I know that puts a big target on my back, but low key, it's not going to be me leading this thing. It's going to be millions of people that I have made millions of dollars that are talking and putting their money where their mouth is. And that's what's going to take to change. And if you look around, there's not a whole lot of people willing to do it. But those that are willing to do it are the ones that are going to be at least at the top when the shit hits. You know, second side is if you got a whole bunch of money, you can buy stuff. And the thing that separates us from socialist countries is that we can actually own shit like a business and real estate and assets and things of that nature. And so, you know, if I can help empower people there, if socialism were to come here, God, let's pray that it doesn't. At least I've empowered some people to own some things that would still have a chunk in it. That's how you become like Chinese. Uh, China is a socialist country, but that's how your royalty in China is if you own land. Same in Britain. You're a lord you're, or your royalty if you own land. So, man, I can't tell you guys how important it is to to actually own real estate and land here in America right now because that's a big separating factor. So I'll get off my soapbox and I'm sure you guys <laughs> figure it out from there. No, we appreciate yeah. it. And even though, you know, your main focus, you know, that we... Because we didn't know. We didn't know where you were from where we left off. Like lead generation that you taught us changed our business. It took us out. It, we used to be fully referral based. And now we have team members who we've got 40 appointments a week based on our lead generation we created that's allowed us to step out, start the collab, which is this podcast, you know, be able to help share messages with other business owners. You know, I think it's all an evolution. So, you know, I think all of us are on this journey. We really appreciate you sharing because if nothing else, I think people hearing the things that you've worked through, I hope it gives people perspective and hopefully gives them some guts and gives them some like, you just got to try. Like, that's it. You got to try. Yeah, that's it. You know, you can believe that this is as good as it's going to get or you can believe that it can get better. But whatever you believe, you can't achieve because I know this about life. God doesn't give you an idea that you can't execute. But guess what? If you don't execute on it, somebody else will. How many times have you been sitting around in life and you're like, damn, I thought of that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And now somebody's getting rich from it. Hey, man, just because yeah. you didn't execute on it, God's idea is going to get it's going to get done. And if it ain't yeah. you, it's going to go to somebody and somebody else and somebody else. till somebody says, I'm going to do it. No. Yeah. Poor Andre has to listen to my 10 ideas a week <laughs> and we have to pick the one that we think might work. Yeah. Yeah, That's it was really interesting relationship. We appreciate you have, having you on, Ryan. Uh, Ryan, if anybody's interested in joining your program or getting a hold of um, your program via Facebook groups, how how can they reach you? We've got the jointheapex.com. And then are there any Facebook pages? Yeah, so uh, I, I really am only on two social media networks, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, they both have blue checks. So it's real Ryan Stuman on Facebook and it has like a, a blue check next to it. So you know that's the real me because at this point, it's lots of imposter shit that Facebook won't take down. And uh, on Instagram, I'm at Hardcore Closer. Again, there's a blue check there too. So in case you 
see some other variation of it because they're always out there. But like I said, I'm verified on all the sites to look for the ones that blue checks don't follow. The other guys report them. Awesome. Well, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's good to catch up with you guys. Yeah, same, Ryan. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today, collaborators. If you found value or got some piece of information out of this, make sure to find us at thecollablife.com. You can also join our Facebook group and our Facebook page at The Collab. On YouTube, you can find us at The Collab. On Instagram, you can find us at The Collab Life. We also do a Facebook Live every Tuesday at 4 o'clock where you can get some more valuable information in our group. We also release our brand new episodes every single Tuesday morning. And if you have any questions or there's anything that we can do for you, any value that you would like to add to our business, we'd love to hear from you. And you can email us at hello at thecollablife.com. 